Welcome back to Talking Feds, a prosecutor's roundtable that brings together prominent former federal officials for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day. I'm Harry Littman. I'm a former United States attorney and deputy assistant attorney general and a current Washington Post columnist. We're here in Washington, D.C. to tape a series of podcast episodes in front of a live audience just blocks from the Capitol Dome. We've had five episodes so far this week, and we are in the home stretch. All this thanks to our gracious hosts at Georgetown Law's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. All this week, we are talking about what happens after Mueller. What are the challenges and prospects for our democratic uh, institutions? Today, in two episodes, we're focused much more directly on what happens on the day of Robert Mueller's testimony to Congress on the 17th. We've just had a panel dealing with strategy and tactics that the House committees might consider, how they should, in broad strokes, go about uh, trying to set goals and achieve them. So Ron Klain and Tim Lynch and Matt Miller and Andy McCabe had some really interesting things to, to say about the, the sort of broader strategy. Here, we end with a very sort of nuts and bolts panel styled Mooting Muller to set it up a little. So the questioning in the House uh, of Administration witnesses has been, I think it's fair to say, generally ineffective. The overall spectacle of these mini-speeches with little follow-up, no use of evidence, the Republicans breaking momentum with different screeds about the Steele dossier and the deep state, you know, has overall made for, I think, uncompelling television or trial. And uh, as a result, the sort of truth-seeking function, not to mention the decorum and order of the House, uh, has not necessarily been uh, well served. But we're, we're here to really ask, in some ways a counterfactual, because unfortunately it's not going to happen. We're not going to have skilled trial lawyers questioning Bob Mueller. But what should they be thinking of? And if they could sort of channel the best trial lawyers in the country, what would they do come Wednesday? And to do that, we have the best trial lawyers in the country to talk about, you know, the the challenge uh, at the very level of questioning of Bob Mueller. Should the members be deferential but still probing? Should they try to elicit almost as admissions, the most damning facts, or should they try to go beyond the four corners? Not an easy task at all for a questioner. Um, a very difficult one, but uh, again, we couldn't do better than the, the three people with us today to, to help to try to figure that out. So we have Glenn Kirshner, who's he's the former chief of the homicide section at the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. But more than that, uh, he w- he's been an AUSA uh, for many years. Uh, Glenn, about 30 all in all, trial years experience? It, trial years experience, yeah. yeah. The first six plus came as an Army JAG uh, in, in the trial courts That's doing court martial cases. Second, uh, we have uh, William H. Jeffress, Jr. He's a partner at Baker Botts, 
after uh, clerking uh, in the federal judiciary for Judges Gazelle and then Justice Stewart. He, he has all his career been uh, basically one of the premier trial lawyers in the country. You may remember him from the Scooter uh, Libby case. But he is, you know, and just the an absolute expert in the in the art of trying a case. Um, Bill, thank you very much for coming. Happy to be here. And Elliot Williams, a a returning uh, talking Fed. He's a principal now at the Rabin Group, but he is was also a former deputy assistant attorney general in the Office of Legislative Affairs and a former trial attorney in the DOJ, uh, was the criminal... Uh, the criminal division at yeah, DOJ, yeah. Right. So, I, so he brings both the, the trial chops, I could say, but also the sense of the unusual setting of having questioning in the Congress, which doesn't go by the federal rules of evidence. So basically, here's the drill, at least for the first big chunk of this episode. I really want to moot Mahler in a real, in a real way, you know, pretend... We are in a kind of strategy meeting in advance of the hearing. We're floating and critiquing concrete lines of testimony. Um, I've asked Glenn, Bill and Elliot, to each work up, you know, an actual kind of examination and to do what prosecutors do, or I should say, I'm sorry, what trial lawyers do, which is, you know, carefully nitpick, word, word uh, spec, and explain each in turn. And we will try to have the kind of lively, critical, you know, your best friends or your most critical colleagues in the, in the office who can make sure you really refine things before you uh, go to the live event, the live event being the Mueller uh, hearing. So I, let's start, please, um, with um, Glenn uh, down at the end and, and bring to bear his 30 years of trial experience and ask if you had your druthers, and the, I think the country might be better served, would be better served if you did, how exactly would you frame uh, a sort of five-minute um, uh examination of Bob Mueller and what would you be thinking about in doing it? And then everyone's going to just, you know, dive in and try to uh, tear it to pieces. You know, Harry, I think, first of all, my guiding principle as a trial court prosecutor for 30 years was what I learned in the Army, uh, which is the uh, abbreviation KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. That applies to me. I'm a gutter guy from Jersey. So (laughs) that principle always served me well in court. I think there is such a mountain of information that what you need to do is really keep your questions straightforward, digestible, simple, targeted. You can't ask all leading questions because you want Mueller saying more. What's a leading question? A leading question is where you box in the witness to answering only yes or no. Um, Congressional questioners love to do that because they want to hear themselves talk. They don't necessarily want to elicit information from the witness. So I think you're going to have to use a mixture of non-leading and leading questions. And I think there are three overarching goals in interviewing special counsel Mueller. Um, The first is I think you want to focus, albeit briefly, on the Trump-Russia collusion. Let's call it what it is, Uh 140 contacts between Trump campaign officials and Russia to coordinate so Trump could unfairly win the election. You want to keep that very targeted because we would all love to know, you know, Special Counsel Mueller, why in the world couldn't you find enough evidence to charge a conspiracy? As we all have at this table, 
I have indicted and tried conspiracy cases. They're complicated, they're counterintuitive, and for every one fact that supports a conspiracy, your opponent's going to have three facts that undercut it. Let's not get into that morass in congressional But testimony. you'll try to surface those facts? Like I the, try like to the cigar bar and the passing on of polling information? Or where do you... Uh, I, I think in, in a very targeted fashion on that topic, I would ask something like, um, you know, you've detailed extensive coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. Um, did you reach a determination as to who Russia was trying to help get elected? Trump. Did you reach a determination yeah. about, this is going to be basic, who they were trying to hurt, who they didn't want to see elected? Hillary. And your findings in volume one document all that. All right. Yes. So first of all, we're sticking with the trial lawyer's adage of never asking a question you don't know the answer to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Bill, you were nodding on that. As a, yeah. Well, that was what I was about to say uh, in the beginning. You know, it's a, it's a general rule for trial lawyers. You never ask a question to which you don't know the answer. And with Mueller, that's going to be easy to do if the congressman can control themselves because he's got 400 pages of a report that has a lot of good stuff in it if you're a Democrat, Democratic uh, House member seeking to question him. So you can ask the question, and if you get an answer that you don't expect, you can simply read from the report the answer that you want. Oh, so, well, give me, give me concretely how that works. So here, I'll be Mueller. So, Glenn, you're asking, what, go ahead. Um, so let me ask, um, I'll, I'll go to a different topic here. Yeah. Um, when you met with White House counsel McGahn, yes. um, did you tell him that he, if he were to lie to you in that interview, he would be committing a crime? I don't. Yeah. So I think on that, he says, I, you know, I, I, we would tell that to any witness. So, yes. OK. OK. And when you spoke with Don McGahn, did he try to invoke executive privilege? Did he try to avoid testifying or did he willingly tell you what he knew? He didn't try to invoke executive privilege. Okay. While I'm at it, did he try to invoke absolute immunity? No. Okay. All right. So you. So that kind of, you know, that's kind of the pattern. All right. And then so and and pattern. of All right. So I see how you will sculpt things in general. Give me give me five minutes. Any trial lawyer will tell you is is a a blink of an eye, especially when. Well, it's not as if you're going to have Mueller grandstanding. But will you you know, what is what's an achievable bite size five minute uh, conclusion that that you know you you'll you would have you think wh- what would be too much to bite off in five minutes and what's just about right actually let me ask you that Elliot if you have thoughts oh I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> um, so a couple things well one uh, so one it's so fabulous to be here and it's great Thanks. to see sort of old friends be just touching on a point this is a little bit unrelated but touching are you on- are you Georgetown grad. No, I said no, like I was offended by the question or something. No, I'm not. Um, So one big picture question, uh, because, you know, as you said, your your best friends are the most critical. It is it's always a little jarring being on a panel of all guys. Uh, And, you know, if we truly were the best trial lawyers in America, we probably would have some women up here. Right. Of course. Now, for talking feds, I can say we certainly tried. I know. No, some of them are extremely busy. Yeah. Yeah, No, no, no no question about that. But it's. um, no question about that. Uh, but as a profession, we could always do better, I think. And mm-hmm. I think it's a good moment to stop. 
So what I would say, um, and, and just for a little bit of background, so I worked, one, on the Hill for Senator Schumer uh, on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and then legislative affairs prepping witnesses. So I've done this a lot. And I think the key and the goal for the House Democrats here is just simply getting Robert Mueller not to stray from the four corners of the report and simply put the report on the record. Um, and as we saw from that press conference— Let me conference, stop you right yeah. there. That's a, I mean, that's a really oh. big question. So I'd like to hear what we'll, – we'll come right back to you, Elliot. But I'd like to hear whether that was the vantage point that Glenn and Bill brought to this exercise. Because I, I see strong arguments on both sides. But what, is this going to be a four corners thing only or not as you see it? Bill, let me start with and you. And I hope we disagree because it will make for a nice I, robust. I think I yeah. do. I think okay, I – but go yeah, ahead. Let's hear if I were a trial lawyer conducting this examination, it would be on the four corners yeah. of the report. No because? About that. Because the report, which has been read by an infinitesimal number of people, right. uh, this is the opportunity to get the damning conclusions in that report in front of the public. And Mueller has made it very clear that he's not going to go beyond the four corners of the report in his testimony. If you attempt to do that, you're likely to get pushed back. You're likely to get him grumpy, as he tends to be. Uh, and by the occasion. way, he probably legally has, is not entitled to, to push it back. But as a sort of strategic trial lawyer matter, you're not going to get in a fight with Robert Mueller on Wednesday, right? There's no judge in the, uh, in the uh, hearing room at Congress. Right. <laughs> well, no. What, so what is, what's exactly that mean? What does that mean? That Why means that, that? Uh, Mueller will, will essentially have the ability to limit himself um, most of the time. We're getting to nods the four corners all of the report. Okay. Now, he will get some questions from Republicans about uh, the Carter Page FISA warrant. He will get questions about uh, Peter Strzok. He will get questions about mm -hmm. various things that are not in the report, and he won't be able to adhere to that. But uh, generally speaking, as far as his conclusions as to uh, coordination or conspiracy with Russians, the Russian effort to influence the election, the obstruction of justice, all those matters that are covered in the report, he will have the ability to limit his questions um, to the four corners of the report if he insists on doing so. All right, fair enough, but let's just be clear what we're giving up. So no effort, for example, to ask him anything along the lines of, but for the OLC memo, would you have found uh, enough to criminally charge the president? Let's just start. And you're, you're shaking your head going because you think it's DOA or there's more, more important stuff to, to get at. I mean, that would be a great um, uh, you know, dividend for the Dems, right, if they could get him to just say those words. Because one of the big problems in public presentation is he had these, like, he left these lacuna in his report that every time you come to the crux of things, if you're in the position of wanting to express them, they get very complicated and prolix and you have to dance around them and you just don't have the, uh, the punchline to give the public. So you're giving up on trying to get the punchline. You're, you just want to say you know, ten, the 10 things that you want to highlight. Sure. The punchline is the president committed 10 felony obstruction of justice offenses. Let's focus on that special counsel. Mueller. Whoa, 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 because he doesn't. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's beyond the four corners, don't we? No, agree? no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm answering your question. Oh, I okay. see. So, and I'm lockstep with your panel because the last thing you want to do is play against yourself by fighting with what? Mueller and trying to persuade him to go beyond the four corners you know, Mueller taught me how to be a federal homicide prosecutor yep. two blocks away at the U.S. Attorney's Office. If Mueller doesn't want to answer, Mueller ain't going to answer. And 
what that does is it undercuts everything he does say, and it distracts, and it, um, it diverts attention away from the power of what's in volume two. So why in the world, if you're a questioner who's interested in getting the truth to the American people, yeah. and not, as Bill said, talking about dossiers, and but her emails, and you know spying on the camp, all that nonsense, if you want to get at the truth... Yeah. Stick to the four corners and don't push Mueller beyond where Mueller has already announced he's not interested in going. All right. And Elliot has a point he wants to interject, but I just want to be clear. So you're saying on your $64,000 question, are there 10 offenses? You will leave that behind. You're not going to actually get him to try to say the words that the president committed obstruction. I'm going to ask him the facts, the building blocks of each of those— yeah, of each of those events. I mean, I, yeah. I can't wait to talk about his interaction with Corey Lewandowski, which is insanely, you know, obstructionist. Yeah. Ellen. So here's there's a big thing that we're missing here. And it's not just we shouldn't just think of this as litigation or trial, but it's a political process as well. And the further you and this is just dealing with Congress generally, the further you stray from what has already been put on the record in that report, the more the Democrats open themselves up to criticism from Republicans. For, for, I mean, it's always going to be a political partisan fight, but the more they go beyond the four corners of the report, the more they open themselves up to. And what they want to do is insulate themselves as much from the politics as much as they can. And I actually think there are three lines of questioning, three very simple. And if they were disciplined, now it's very hard to do this because what you have are in Congress 535 sweet, generous entities. I don't know. It's talking feds. Do we speak in English? Yeah, or no, Latin no, no. Latin's good. Uh, talking okay, fed. uh, Talking um, fetish. Yeah, talking fetish. Yeah. Uh, um, unique, 535 unique entities, right, yeah. uh, that have their own political instincts and their own impulses. And little fiefs. And little right. fiefs that they need to speak to. But if you could control what they did, what you do is of the 24 Democratic members, first, you have somebody get on the record what probable cause is. Now, that's outside the bounds of the report, but Robert Mueller has been a prosecutor for a long time and can lay out what the probable cause standard is for indicting someone. You literally have Jerry Nadler or the first member of the committee walk through the probable... Okay, this is what it takes walk to... Walk Mueller through the probable Mueller cause. Okay. And, and just this is what it takes to indict a case, right? One. Next line of questioning. You walk through the law of what does it take to bring an obstruction of justice charge. Three elements. You need an obstructive act, you need a, a nexus to an, an official proceeding, and corrupt intent. Just tell us what that means and what those terms are for the American people. No one can dispute that or fight with that. That's in the federal code, right? All right. Let's nobody do. can. Well, say your third, Let's and do. then I have a response. And then the third, I think then, this is piggybacking exactly on what Glenn just said, you walk through the facts of the allegations. And I don't think you need to walk through all 10. I think you walk through the four uh-huh. on which you you had, um, you know, in, in which they were able to find all three elements were met. And those four were, number one, efforts to fire Mueller. Number two, efforts to cont- to curtail the investigation through, you know, Jeff Sessions having him. Uh, um, number three, ordering McGahn to deny uh, that there was an attempt to fire Robert Mueller. And number four, the you know, attempts to influence Paul Manafort. You literally have a member of Congress walk through the facts and say, on X date. You don't necessarily use that title. You just say yeah, but these just like, things on, happen. Literally on X date, did did, uh, does your report say that, uh, you know, you that the president called uh, Don McGahn and told him X and Y and Z and that Don McGahn said this is crazy shit or whatever and just have him walk through those facts. I want to push back now on on your one and two and see where Glenn and Bill might be. I'm reminded, you know, it was a similar kind of exercise, short, not not a, a ticking time clock. 
with the, in the at the star David Kendall uh, face off, and the and the star team spent all this time in Congress at the very beginning going through what's an oath and the meaning of an oath, and and I thought of that as quite ineffective. But I, so, so I, I would off, offhand say, do you really, because you always have the clock there, do you really want to take, you know, two or three of your best questioners and burn them on the proposition, this is probable cause, and they, on the, maybe you do. I'm, you know, I'll, on the tell you, I'll tell you, there's a big reason why I think you do, yeah. and it's the press conference that Robert Mueller gave a couple weeks, or I guess a yeah. couple months ago, where I think the most compelling words we've heard thus far were said by Robert Mueller on the record saying, I could not, or we could not exonerate the president. You heard from him. Those are applied person. facts, again, you're, but not, not here is what. But, the, but it's out of his want, mouth. The point is, most in. people didn't read lock him yeah. in number one as a, as a litigator most people didn't read the report most americans haven't connected with this esoteric 500 page legalistic redacted report when you had a person saying into a microphone before the american people i you know if i were able to exonerate the president i would have or we would have that that generated headlines that excited people and that hopped up some some public excitement generally and i think doing that again but in a far more formal setting and it's dry and it's not the way yeah. members of congress like to operate they want to give their speeches like glenn had said but you get it on the record well, okay well so um, let's yeah. see what your colleagues say so bill uh, you know on this specific issue of burning some time to but to set the table with basic propositions have him committed to say the standard for probable cause worthwhile not worthwhile in this kind of exercise it's it's worthwhile more with an <clears throat> audience of lawyers than the audience that you're trying to reach here it seems yeah. to me i i think that um the best th- approach is to bring out the facts which are damning as i say i mean the facts stated in the report if i i could take just a couple of minutes and give you yeah what please I, we'll, what we'll, i thought uh, through yeah uh, i think one of the most extraordinary sections of the report is the actually the tenth of the obstruction of justice um, matters which has to do with Michael Cohen and you could do an examination taken straight from the report uh, where every question you're asking him is answered in the report uh, and go through that uh, give it to us Michael Cohen lied to Congress in a written statement about the Trump Tower Moscow project before lying to Congress had he had extensive discussions with Trump's uh, personal counsel about that written statement? Um, And did the personal counsel advise him, among other things, not to contradict the president? Um, all the answers to this, as I say, are right in the Yeah, report. there's nowhere for him to go on <laughs> nowhere all these. It's the same thing as the questions Glenn yeah. asked me. Okay. Michael Cohen also provided news organizations with a false statement that the Trump organization had not reimbursed him for a $130,000 payment to a porn star. Um, and after that false statement about the porn star, um, did you find the president's personal counsel sent him a text saying, client thanks you for what you do? When a search warrant was executed on Cohen's uh, home and office, uh, did the president call the raid a disgrace? Call it an attack on our country, is that correct? The president called Michael Cohen directly. Um, encouraged him to hang in there and stay strong. That's the president speaking to Michael Cohen after the raid on Michael Cohen's office and home. And did the president call Michael Cohen publicly a fine person with a wonderful family 
who I have always liked and respected? And after the raid, did you find that uh, Cohen was told by the president's personal counsel that he would be, quote, protected so long as he didn't go rogue? Rogue meaning departing from the party line? By the way, that you've just offered what rogue, that, that little sentence was not in the report, right? No. But he's going to have to say yes to that. So, so far, you've Whatever got him every single one. Whatever he says in response one. to that, it's got to be good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me make one quick That's point. That's my opinion. Let, let me make one quick point. Why I, why I maintain, though, that, that the, of the, so the 24 Democratic members, right, that's 120 minutes, roughly, you know, uh, why you use five minutes to talk about probable cause, because a relevant portion of this is what it would have taken to charge an individual. Yeah. The public doesn't know that. The public just knows there's generally bad conduct that happened. And I think taking a couple minutes to say, this is what it is to bring an indictment. This is what it meant that we were, were it not for uh, the, the OLC opinion. We would have been prepared to bring these charges against the president of the United States. Now, Mueller would not use those exact words. A member of Congress could use those words. But I still think you have to at least set that even cursory legal framework just so people know what you're talking about here. Because I think, you know, uh, people just don't quite understand what these concepts, their second nature to all of us would mean. Okay. And the question is, will you, will you do that through Mueller or some other way? But, Bill, we, uh, I, you certainly gave us the flavor, but you probably have that this line well, yeah, goes I mean, on the, a while, the right? The important thing is then something changed. Right. And you ask Mueller, well, you know, the president, after going through all the president, he's a fine person, well-respected, uh, love his family and so forth. Things change. When did they change? In the summer of 2018, Cohen agreed to uh, plead guilty and to cooperate and to testify truthfully to you and to the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. Suddenly, is it true that Trump called him a, quote, weak person? called him a, quote, rat, suggested that his wife and father-in-law had committed crimes and were being let off the hook. So there is this, I've debated whether to ask uh, Miller this, but, uh, you know, Mr. Miller, he certainly knows this, although it's not in his report. There is also a statute called um, uh, Title 18 United States Code 1513, which is retaliation against witnesses, correct? And that punishes anybody who caused any harm to to an individual for truthful information provided by that person to law enforcement officials. Um, Soon as Mr. Trump learned that Michael Cohen was going to cooperate, he attacked him, attacked his family, Did you make a judgment as to whether that's prosecutable under 1513? Now, that's the one question I don't know the answer to (laughs) because it's not in his report. Um, But that's certainly a point that I I, um, thought was important. So, well, Mr. – and then you you wind it up. You say, uh, well, Mr. Miller, on page 154 of your report, you say the president used inducements in the form of positive messages in an effort to get Cohen not to cooperate – then turn to attacks and intimidation to deter provision of information or undermine Cohen's credibility after he began cooperation. And then, yeah, I think you winded up to say, um, Mr. Miller, you, um, as you say in your report, you declined to reach a conclusion or to state a conclusion as to whether uh, the president was guilty of obstructing justice. 
but you say that while this report does not um, conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. And that's true as to the evidence that you found as to Michael Cohen. You know, that, that kind of, yes. that's the way I think I would do it. Um, uh, let me offer some just commentary as a, you know, a student trial. So I, I, I think, I think um, so as I'm listening to each question in this kind of exercise, which I've had and all of us have had in, in sort of real time, I'm thinking at each question, uh, can I wriggle out? I'm Mueller, can I wriggle out? And, and I, you know, I think I follow each one. And basically, Bill has me every time except the small exception that he, that he noted himself, which is maybe it's okay to uh, deviate rarely from the maxim of you know the answer if you've considered, as you, as you heard him say, either way it's going to work out okay. But, I, but an, you know, he, I think he probably spent a lot of time, and they'd be well um, advised to spend a lot of time, and they won't spend a lot of time, but really carefully selecting uh, a scenario to walk through fa- fact at a time, not simply based on how bad the conduct is, but one that will present well and have like little methodical steps that as, as he just gave. And then the final point I'd, I'd make that I think the best, I don't count myself among them, but I, I, I know him when I see him, that the best trial lawyers do, he stopped a, a sentence short. He didn't say so. Aren't you saying really that he obstructed? That's because if if you do that and he doesn't give it to you, now you've def- you've ended on a deflated point. Whereas if you let the listeners here, the the TV audience, you know, get there in their minds, in some ways it's even uh, you know a better way to uh, go. So I, I have no I have no. Um, I can't. I can't uh, argue against any any question you made, Glenn. What what else you got on that? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I loved Bill's direct right. examination, right. and I'm going to need his card before I leave in case I get in <laughs> trouble in the yeah. future. Uh, and I agree. The fifteen thirteen, the threatening a witness question is a tough one right. because I don't think Mueller will be pushed there. And if he if he is unwilling to answer that, or he equivocates, or he then I think you, we've knocked ourselves down a notch. That's the question. Is it a buzzkill, or do people just kind of hear it and it goes on? And um, that's a judgment call for a trial lawyer. Here's one of the other things that I think should be a goal of these hearings. This is a hearts and mind hearing, I think, as Elliot said. This, this is not a court proceeding. Right. So you have to approach it differently. And because what we know is that the public has heard ad nauseum, no obstruction, no collusion, no obstruction, no collusion, you need to combat that with this hearing. How do you do that with Mueller? I think the way you do it, potentially, is by trying to get a couple of true-false questions in there that are directly designed to rebut no obstruction, no collusion. Mm -hmm. So I think what I would do is I would say, you know, Special Counsel Mueller, you have heard endlessly President Trump say your report, your investigation found no obstruction, no collusion. Let's turn to volume one. True or false, did your report find no collusion? I think he's got to say false. We did not find no collusion. Let's turn to volume two. And by the way, think about just for a second, if you're listening today, the eight ways you could have tried to frame that question, six of which would have would have fallen flat. You know, I I mean, the way Glenn did it, he, he basically boxes them in in one question. Go ahead. Same with volume two. 
you've heard endlessly from both Trump and now from Attorney General Barr. Did he participate in your investigation? No, he didn't interview any witnesses. Okay, let me let me just move on. Did your report involve? Why? Why did you just move on? Why? Why? Well, that was a, that was my smart Alec Jersey guy. Exactly thing. right. He gets okay? he he intimates there's maybe some daylight between yeah. them, but he doesn't push him to the question yeah. where again he'll probably lose. What we call poisoning the well. Yeah. So then I would say, true or false? Did your report in volume two find no obstruction? No, it did not. That's false. Now, it's, I think, incumbent upon the media. Every time we run a clip of the president saying no obstruction, no collusion, of Bill Barr saying it, of Lindsey Graham saying it, of Mitch McConnell saying it, we absolutely are responsible. We owe it to the American people to instantly put up Bob Mueller saying, that's false. My report did not find no obstruction, no collusion. And that is a hearts and mind thing, not an evidentiary. We're building the elements of any particular obstruction charge. But I think that's one of the most important goals of this hearing. Yeah. So this is an excellent point. You're applying. You're not just thinking about the arena there, but you're being uh, having a little bit of a longer term strategy of where's it going to be played out weeks to come on the on the um, war between sound bites on TV. Elliot, you had a thought. Yeah. Um, so interesting. We've talked about Democrats versus Republicans here. But an important point to note about how, the makeup of this committee is that the Republicans are all together and the Democrats largely are not. There's a core of folks on the committee who uh, are sort of in the pro-impeachment inquiry camp. And then, you know, starting with the chair, sort of saying, well, let's wait till the facts are out there. If I had to give advice to the pro-impeachment inquiry folks uh, and just sort of buy, split up the Democratic caucus, here's what you do. You read this quote to Robert Mueller from, uh, from, from his report. The conclusion that Congress may apply the obstruction laws to the president's corrupt exercise of the powers of office accords with our constitutional system of checks and balances and the principle that no one is above the law. And you just read him that and ask and, him, and, and what ask does what? that mean? What, what did you mean by that? Did you mean, were you sending this to us as an investigative body? To, were you punting that to Congress? And either let him say no but he can't because that that's a paragraph that explicitly kicks this issue over to Congress. And if you are um, uh, David Cicilline or Ted Lieu or Pramila Jayapal, some of the folks on the committee yeah. who've been out there on this issue, you get him to say or not say, well, you know, look, I, I'm the law enforcement person. I wasn't going to resolve this, but it's up to Congress. Yeah. And even if he won't say it, they can say it for him. And I think that makes if this is if this is truly a hearts and minds thing and if they are trying to win support for impeaching the president, what you do is you, you quote the guy's report back to him and get him in effect to say it or make the well, case Well, quoting him, of course, is impeccable. And then getting just notice, I think you've kind of dipped your toe into the ocean that that would be great in a normal trial and a hostile witness of getting some impressions out of him. But you have taken that extra step. What did you mean? And, in, you know, and so you, you, you've, you've, I think... Is it fair to say, kind of faced that whole category and said, maybe I will dabble in that? I mean, let me ask you. So, Bill, were there any lines when, when we were thinking about this for a day? Were there any lines of testimony that if you had to take a chance, you know, you, what you gave us was was pre, seemed pretty bulletproof. Were there any kind of slightly higher risk but higher reward lines or did it, did it just seem axiomatic to you that all your testimony and examination should be of this sort of, you know, sentence in the report, sentence in, in, the, in a question? Well, I tell you, I would love 
if I got the opportunity to question Mueller, I would love the uh, opportunity to ask him what he thought of Attorney General Barr's um, statement four days after he read the report. I think you would probably get Mueller to say that he thought it unfairly uh, described the conclusions of the report or incompletely. Um, I would like to ask him about uh, Attorney General Barr's uh, public statements of disagreement with Mueller. Uh, Barr never talked to the witnesses, <laughs> never saw the evidence. Uh, Mueller had a team of 17 lawyers that worked for two years. And uh, made a report. Barr hasn't even, we have nothing to even react to. Right. Um, and in four days, a political appointee, or two political appointees, if you count Rod Rosenstein, um, announced that, uh, that we've concluded the president's innocent. Um, and I would like to make a big deal of that, but that's high risk. Well, well that's what I'm saying. Risk. You would let me just follow mm-hmm. up. So I hear you saying that you'd love to, but you're probably not going to do it. Is that right? You're probably going to stay your hand. Uh, uh, and or, or does it? So, I mean, one of the calculations, well, I think, for a trial lawyer is where do I start here and do I have to take these risks or do I have a sort of state, you know, do I swing for the fences, as I, we've said in other things, or, 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 or you know, just go, go with a uh, one with One a thing pitch. you do as a trial lawyer is uh, you've got some questions uh, in your mind that you might want to ask the witness, and you watch the witness in the first right. uh, 15 minutes of his cross-examination, and you get a pretty good feel for whether you can take that chance. But here's where <laughs> – but you – look, let's talk about trial. You have a way to uh, – I hesitate to say impeach the witness, um, you know, where you uh, contradict sure. him with a prior state. But you're not really impeaching him. He wrote a letter to Barr – um, raising issues with Barr's characterization. So even if he doesn't want to answer the questions directly in the way that Bill's talking about, you say, wait a second, so tell me about the drafting of this letter that you put together. Um, It seems to me that uh, you're expressing concern with how the Attorney General characterized your fight. Isn't that accurate? And get him to say no or not. And here's the thing. I mean, yes, we can impeach him. We can use his own words to further talk about the disagreement he had with Barr. I just don't know that that is really what's moving public opinion. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So, but, you, but again, you're getting the words that he has already put out there uh, in the and You're just but I think the, hearing. Them I think the stuff you want to get out there, yeah. though, is this insanity that the president engaged in with Corey Lewandowski. Yeah. Corey Lewandowski, private citizen, not administration member is told by Trump, go talk to Sessions. You tell Sessions that he better limit Mueller's investigation into me, that is, into past possible coordination between my campaign and the Russians. And I want you to tell him only to investigate future interference. And And let me just finish the thought. Future interference, crimes that haven't—we're not precogs. That's not the way investigations work, right? And then, you know what? If he won't do it, I want you, Corey Lewandowski, private citizen, to fire the attorney general. That is like a high crimes and misdemeanors treasure trove right there. And that's what we have to focus, I think, the American people Just on. a point of clarification for the non-lawyers that might be listening to this. <laughs> well, because we, we're using the word impeach in yeah. two different ways. There's, oh, very good there's point. impeaching mm-hmm. a high official and impeaching a president of the United States, which is sort of what I talked about when I talked about you know, the members of Congress who want to impeach the president. When we speak as lawyers about impeaching a witness, you're saying essentially to contradict the witness right. with their own credibility or prior yeah. statements or so on. So Glenn Kirshner says it's rainy today. 
today. I have a letter or a statement from Glenn that says, no, it's actually I'm, I'm wearing a raincoat and carrying an umbrella. I've impeached his statement or his testimony. All right. Now, Glenn, we had kind of just your MSNBC presentation there with <laughs> arms up, et cetera. And we had from Bill a very kind of dry fact, you know, base. You've got this special problem of Mueller with, you know, almost in, infinite dignity that he brings to the chair. Tell us a little bit about your tone. And in particular, are you even like one or two percent biting or 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 sharp? Or are you are, are you completely neutral? Tell us about your tone when you approach him. You have to gauge the room and you have to gauge the witness. And I, by the way, is the room Congress? Is the room the uh, the United the, States? The room is the American people. Yeah. Okay, that's a so big room. I have cross-examined the mother of a defendant who came in and provided a false alibi for her son. One way, I have uh, cross-examined a different mother of a defendant who was providing a false alibi for her son and was just a a very nasty human being. I treated her another way. You have to gauge the room. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. Now, I can tell you with Mueller, I am probably going to be respectful, but I'm going to be firm, and I'm going to get a little bit animated, but I am certainly not going to be bombastic. I'm going to treat Mueller the way—and in part, you have to see— how Mueller is communicating. One, one uh, point on that. Okay, go ahead. Well, one point on that. Um, and having done this about 100 times uh, in Congress for different witnesses, let's be clear. He's, he Robert, he's Robert Mueller, you know, he's Robert Mueller, full stop, but he's not a friendly witness to the committee. He is not um, in the sense that when uh, when typically congressional hearings, you will have majority witnesses and minority witnesses where the Democrats will invite a couple shills for them to testify right. and the Republicans will get one. He is not there to be anyone's friend. Nor is on he either. hostile. He's no, neutral. No, I know. He's, well, but again, he does not wish for the purposes of congressional hearing, congressional testimony, he does not wish to be there. Uh, he's not um, I don't think anybody looks forward to, to congressional testimony, but this is an odd hearing in that the very guy who was the center of your hearing has made clear that he doesn't wish to be a witness. And they need, again, respectful, you know, firm and so on. But when he starts punting on questions that there are clear answers to, they need to be willing to, to challenge that. Bill, tone, including do you have any instances where you go off of neutral into either a little bit of emotion, incredulity, whatever, or is your strong assumption that you're, you're flat and straightforward soup to nuts? Well, if it were me as a trial lawyer and I'm trying the case before the jury, I would be flat. Um, but in congressional hearings, that, uh, in my experience, is not <laughs> the practice of the uh, interrogators. Uh, I'm sure that there will be plenty of, um, plenty of uh, drama and... and uh, uh, acting uh, going on, um, but I I think that you know the besides the attitude, and I agree completely with what Elliot said about uh, treating Miller. I I think the Democrats need to treat him with respect. Um, <clears throat> the Republicans are certainly going to um, pursue people like Jim Jordan, Matt Getz. They are going to pursue the witch hunt theory. Uh, they are going to ask him about um, Peter Strzok, 
and right. his role, and uh, they're going to read from some of Peter Strzok's uh, texts to his uh, paramour. And will your questioning in any way take account of what they're going to do? I assume you just ignore them 100%. you have to prepare for that. I think you have to prepare for Peter Strzok didn't write one word of this report. Did he? Okay, Peter Strzok didn't participate right. in any of the discussions about what the report would say. I mean, I think you have to have a line of questionings that deals with that. Same Everyone's thing. agreeing here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Let me ask, can I ask you, Bill, about yeah. that? Don't you think Mueller might be at his most vigorous when he's defending the FBI? Yes, I do. And that's why I think I, he I will agree. handle the struck stuff and the nonsense yep. fairly well? I, I, I certainly would hope so. Yeah. I'd like to be prepared. I'll tell you, there's mm-hmm. another thing in the report that I'm sure the Republicans are going to pounce on, which is that this whole investigation started, as we know, with um, warrants uh, under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act uh, against Carter Page, which were renewed three or four times. Uh, as a result of Mueller's investigation, he did not find that Carter Page uh, violated any law. And I'm sure that the Republicans are going to pounce on that because one of their great talking points is that uh, this whole thing was a, uh, an effort by the Democrats to uh, <laughs> repeal the election and, uh, and so forth and so on. Um, and I, Mueller needs to be prepared for that because that is certainly going to be hit by that. Although to Elliot's point in terms of his not being a friend, an, either a neutral or a quite, he's not going to, he'll be prepared himself but you will not have the opportunity as you would with a witness you were directly um, uh, questioning to, to have any kind of advance discussion. Where, where could, I mean, I, I guess this is why you're sticking to the four corners, but can you, can you envision uh, places where he could really surprise you uh, in a good way? Uh, you know, we talked about sort of, sort of risk. But, but what, might, what might be, as you sort of survey the whole uh, landscape of, of what he might give you and what he won't, you know, what's, what's sort of in the, uh, in the calculus that, you know, maybe you get from him and makes you sort of go forward? I've got, I've, I'm seeing... No, I'm seeing Bob doesn't no. do surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, right, you, in general, there's a watchword that all of you are agreeing with, which is you're not, you're not going to be going outside yourself much in your, inv- in your test. You're not going to try for uh, very hard at all. You want to decide in advance what you can get and stick to it. Yeah. Uh, Glenn frames it as Bob doesn't do surprise. I'm also framing it, as, framing it as he's just a singularly skilled witness and just knows he said he's not going to stray from the four corners of the report and, and damned if they're going to get him to do it. So but I you think- agree, don't, he, that, don't you, that he's actually he's so either polite or dutiful or whatever – He's not a um, the kind of witness who'll be looking to shut them down. No. He'll he'll respond. You agree, right? And you know, I, I agree. He will be responsive. Yeah, yeah, which is saying something. Um, uh, how what what stance will he take? You, do you think his any time you go outside the four corners, he says, "I just want, I want you to know, I just don't talk." Or does it, do you does he as he's done in the past tease it out a little? And and then and then come back. I mean, do you do you see? And and how's he going to do it? Yeah. So I think that's one of the most interesting questions, Harry. If he's listen, he takes his oath as seriously as any person on this planet. So he raises the right hand, swears to tell the truth. If he's asked questions that do not implicate grand jury secrecy information that he would be prohibited from talking about, if he's asked questions that don't implicate um, uh, ongoing investigations, so that, yes, it's outside the four corners of his report, but there's no prohibition other than his 
visceral desire not to go beyond the four corners right. of the port. No legal. Then I think yeah. Mueller has a little mini battle going on inside of him because he raised his right hand and swore to tell the whole truth. So I think he ultimately may be pushed beyond the four corners, just abiding by the oath. What about this? Do you push him to give a general defense of the FBI? Right. That could be a really good moment. And it's been absent for for years. It's not in the four corners. But do you get him to respond to the 13 angry Democrat, blah, blah, blah? That's a great question because he's going to do one of two things. He's going to launch into the defense of the FBI that I would launch into if it were me. I'm not half as circumspect as Bob Mueller. Or he will say, Congressman, if you have a direct question, please ask it. Bill? I think... uh you're on the second What Glenn one. just said is exactly how he's going to approach it. Um, but he said two things, though. <laughs> he's not going to offer any opinions um, that, he doesn't, uh, that aren't in response to a direct question. Um, I think he is going to be a reticent. I guess that's a good word. That's the, he's going to be a reticent witness. He's not going to be volunteering. So you don't serve up the chance to defend the FBI, probably. Well, I think that's yeah. an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that. I'm sure that you would get nothing <laughs> but... If, if what you want to do is defend the FBI, you would get nothing but favorable testimony from right. Bob Mueller. So. And again, if you're thinking in terms of – it's a very funny kind of exercise because you are thinking in terms of, A, the American people as opposed to the room, and B, the American people digesting 15-second little warring sound bites, and this might be quite a – And are you going to one. win the hearts and minds of the American yeah. people by having Mueller defend an institution he headed for years right. – or do we need to continue to focus on the president's misconduct? Right. You know, and I'd like to go. We've done this in every panel. This is our last. I, uh, Elliot, Bill, Glenn, thank you so much for being here. To a broader uh, hearts and minds uh, question that we've asked everyone to sort of consider, uh, which is, you know, the sort of stakes and prospects of what we are looking at. What are, you know, how serious a spot are we as a, you know, republic and an experiment in democracy in? Do you, if you had to sort of look forward to, you know, a year or maybe uh, uh, five or maybe if he rolls out the tank seven <laughs> to what it, to the, the time after Trump is out of office, are we looking at permanent uh, damage to in our context, the very idea of truth to the, you know, the general respect for democratic institutions and, the, you know, the stability uh, that, that it brings, you know, how bullish or bearish are you on the overall stakes other than Trump's actual guilt that, it, that these, um, you know, these three years seem to serve up? And can I just, you know, go down those, start with you, Elian? Sure. Yeah. I, I would give two different answers depending on whether I'm answering pre-January 20th, 2017, right. or post-January 20th, 2017. You mean 2017, not 2021? 20, 2017, 2017, because the okay. norms of government yeah. have shifted right. in this administration now, or at least under this president. Now, that may change, and we may, may end up back in a place where allegations like these would have sunk a president a long time ago. George W. Bush, were this were the information to have come out, uh, he would he probably would not have been still been president today, or Barack Obama, and so on. So just a couple of quick examples on norms not applying from the last week or two. Number one, Kellyanne Conway. Uh, I know this is off topic today, but there is a finding from, the, from a different special counsel, right. a Republican, Henry right. Kerner, special counsel, that she ought to have been terminated for violating the Hatch Act. Now, all of us, in some form, 
form, our former government employees and know the Hatch Act is no joke. <laughs> right. And it is it, it comes with a sanction of termination. And they brushed it off as if it was, you know, more deep state meddling and, and, and the exercise of her free speech rights because the norms do not apply. The president, I mean, we're uh, as we're taping this right now, the president is speaking with respect to the census matter where the Supreme Court has given a clear directive to lower courts and to the litigants as to how to proceed. And the president, there's talk again, this may when this airs, yeah. uh, we will know the outcome of this of just, you know, circumventing the Supreme Court of the federal courts with an executive order because the norms of government that we are used to do not apply. And so will things change based on this? Yeah, it should have. Um, if this were Jimmy Carter, I mean, I'll just run down the list of uh, you know, the, the prior series of presidents. Yes, it would have. Uh, things would have been totally different. But unfortunately, we are just in a different era now. And the question is whether that era ends on January 21st or 20th, 2021, or if these are now the norms of government and when a federal court makes a ruling or when a special count, office of special counsel makes a ruling or when Congress subpoenas individuals uh, that they'll be complied with. I just don't know the answer to that. Bill? Well, I agree. Norms have changed. Um, and uh, as far as this whole scandal that we've been discussing today that was investigated by Mr. Mueller, we'll survive that. We've survived plenty of scandals in the past. Uh, the, the, the things that make me apprehensive about the future is the wholesale retreat from our leadership of the free world and our, our um, you know, alliances with our friends. Um, and second, uh, that you mentioned, Harry, the assault on the press, uh, the, the irrelevance of truth, um, uh, alternative, what, what, what was the word? Uh, alternative facts. Alternative facts, right. um, enemy press being the enemy of the people. That worries me long term. <laughs> and I think that may be those two things may be harder to turn around. Glenn. So I have been of the belief that, you know, we the people in our democracy are stronger than Trump. But I was more optimistic yesterday than I am today because if in fact Trump tries to put a citizenship question on the census, ignoring and basically telling the Supreme Court to take a flying leap. We are now in constitutional crisis territory where if Trump will not abide by the rulings of our courts, he can then call off the 2020 election and name himself king. He can imprison his political opponents because the court, if he's ignoring the court's authority then and the Republicans refuse to stand up to it, and put a stop to it, right. there is literally very little hope for the continued health of our democracy. You know, it's just so remarkable that you see in a naked way that the most axiomatic, you know, rules of the road, in fact, are, you know, underneath it rely on on the will and good faith of political actors, and it could really go that way. I personally saw it initially as all kind of buffoonery. Then I saw it as pretty serious, but short-lived. And yeah, so I'm of the view, it's not been the most sanguine set of responses on all these panels, but I'm of the view that, uh, that at a minimum, e even granting, as I basically would, the A, the remaining strength of the institutions, and B, the probable um, consensus view of a majority of Americans, if it's put to them, in favor of these institutions, that there will be, at, at best, 
years of work to to get back to anything close to the you know unquestioned uh, status that the that just idea of rule of law and constitutionalism uh, enjoyed before January 2017. All right, now that we, we ended on, as we did with the last panel, where we uh, uh, ended on, on a somewhat glum note, but I, you know, I think that's, the, that's the, in fact, the state of play. So thank you very much, Glenn. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you very much, Elliot, for coming today, and especially, I mean, this is what we really like try to do on Talking Feds, for getting nitty and gritty and uh, exactly, you know, at the level of a trial lawyers, not just prosecutors, art. We have time for a question. Yeah. Thank you for the discussion to, uh, this afternoon. <clears throat> uh, this is my third panel that I've watched. Uh, all three have been very exciting, uh, and uh, I thank you for uh, and all the other panelists. My question relates to the the last topic about the lingering legacy. The Civil War ended over 150 years ago yet you still see Confederate flags. 150 years from now, are we going to see MAGA hats? One thing I have said uh, a bunch of times before that I do want, and again, this either applies in 2021 or 2025, I guess, that I actually think Donald Trump ex-president is far more destructive to the union than Donald Trump president uh, because of his ability. Uh, if he's... If he's um, it, expending so much effort at undermining institutions while president. Imagine that from the outside. So maybe you see MAGA hats. Who knows? But I actually think um, still the, the 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 president's capacity to rile people up. I think will continue to be a challenge for the republic even after he's president. Uh, but I would just say the bigger challenge is going to be. You could imagine, say, the Democrats take power, but but decide to indulge a little bit in Trumpism, because, you know, given the way it worked or out of petty uh, impulses or three presidents down the line. I, so I agree when you think about him as a sort of vigilante force post-president, and it is alarming. But, I mean, there's a worry that, that you know, that, that at the end, neither the actual leaders nor the public will have the kind of uh, uh, sense of inviolability of things that, in fact, now have been violated. First, you know, in March and, and February, when these first things would happen, my head was going around 360 degrees, you know, twice a week. And now it's just it just seems more of the same. And if that feeling abides, Trump or no Trump, you know, that's when we're, I think, actually a step or two away from, you know, toward name it, not 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 Peru, well, but but Greece, Turkey, whatever. I mean, we, we have fallen in the in the capital of what really sustains us. That's dramatic, but you know, something like that seems actually on the table. Uh, your producer has a question. Okay, so it is taken as a given that Robert Mueller, across all of our panels, will not stray from the four corners of the report, and if he does, it'll be so minor or whatever. I guess my question is for any of you that have worked with him or know him, and I just have to ask this a hundred times, why not? If you're dealing with someone who cares so much about the rule of law and process and what is uh, what makes up the fabric of our democracy, which is essentially an adherence to this Constitution document and the laws that descend thereof, isn't aren't we at a point where he should stray just a little if led down the path? He, he thinks, this is my view of it, he thinks he's honoring the rule of law 
by not straying from the report. He documented in that report all of the evidence that any reasonable, rational, objective person needs to conclude that the president committed offenses and that probably far exceed what are required to prove high crimes and misdemeanors. But he has announced his sense of fairness dictates that because the criminal justice system is not the place for this issue to be litigated, it's for the Congress to now litigate this issue in an impeachment hearing and a removal trial, it would be unfair of him to put his thumb on the scale by standing up and saying, let me go a little bit further than I went in my report. He committed crimes. He gave us the building blocks for Congress to reach that conclusion. He actually thinks he's honoring the rule of law, and we can debate the wisdom of that all day long, by not going any farther than he has gone. He's a man of complete principle and integrity, even if sometimes his circumspection frustrates the heck out of us. That's my view. And then what happens if the American people decide they're just like a little too uh, overwhelmed or oversaturated or overinformed or just undereducated and they just don't care anymore about the rule of law? This is my dark. Um, well, it seems like the Republicans don't care much about the rule of law at this moment either. So, And we may not even get impeachment hearings open. I have no idea whether we will or not. So, um, you know, I think Bob Mueller did his job, and it's now time for Congress to do its job. And there's an end. Uh, thanks again. Will you join me in thanking the panel, please? Thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in to Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, at TalkingFedsPod, to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can also check us out on the web at TalkingFeds.com, where we have full episode transcripts, and at TalkingFeds.com slash news for information about this series in Washington, D.C. Submit your questions to questions at TalkingFeds.com, whether it's for five words or fewer, or general questions about the inner workings of the legal system for our sidebar segment. Thanks for tuning in. And don't worry, as long as you need answers, the feds will keep talking. Talking Feds is produced by Jenny Josephson, Dave Moldovan, Anthony Lamos, and Rebecca Lopatin. David Lieberman is our contributing writer. Production assistance by Sarah Philippoum, Michelle Beaulieu, and Courtney Columbus. Thanks to the incredible Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Delito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See you next time.